0: Is this West Indian lilac? Yes. We know they're toxic, but the animals don't eat them. You sure? Pretty sure. There's only one way to be positive. I'd have to see the dinosaurs dropping. Dino. Dropping? Dropping?
1: Well, hello there, and happy weekend. Welcome to Curiosity Kill the Cat. I'm your host, Sarah, and today, this episode is all about the badass ladies of the Jurassic Park, Jurassic, uh, the Lost World Jurassic Park. I didn't want to say Jurassic World. We did get into a little bit of Claire, but primarily focusing on Jurassic Park and the Lost World. Jurassic Park. Okay. The San Diego one, baby. Um, my friend, Adrian Dillard, a wonderful author has joined me for this episode. Um, she has read the Michael Crichton book, uh, both of them, um, several times. She said the, uh, Jurassic, her Jurassic Park copy is, um, pretty tattered from reading it so many times throughout the years. Um, so, she went ahead and uh indulged me in my uh book questions, the differences between uh the character Ellie and Lex getting into uh Kelly and Sarah Harding. And like I said, uh eventually we dipped into a little bit of Claire in the Jurassic World movies and uh maybe some hopes who we who we want to see maybe in like Dominion coming up here. So uh super grateful for her, uh, grateful to her and for her time. And, um, yeah, if you want to check her out, she has a website, adrian-dillard.com. Um, she has two novels, um, about Katherine Carey and another one, uh, about Jane Boleyn. So if you are in to that, there is a rich plethora of knowledge and, um, and that from her. So go check out her website and check out her books. Um, she also has had some really cool theories um a while ago on one of the bend the knee Zoom hangout things. I don't know if it's on their YouTube channel or not, um, but she got into um historical figures that mirror some of the characters in Game of Thrones. And uh, George R. R. Martin is a huge history buff, especially, you know, the British, the British stuff. Um, and so anyways, she uh, she just had this wide range of knowledge when it came to um, uh, accuracies between certain figures in Game of Thrones, a Song of Ice and Fire, if you will, and uh, people in history, um, I believe. Uh, is it like Sir Richard or something? There's a character, some uncle who locked his uh, nephew away in a tower and uh, very like reminiscent to Tyrion and who he's supposed to be. I think me and um, uh, Jimmy and I got into that in one of the episodes that we just did. So anyways, yeah, if you have any questions, find her on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever she's out there. If you have a podcast, get her on there. Okay. Okay. Um, so moving along here. Um, yeah, we had a great time, probably a little over an hour conversation and, um, again, got into Ellie, um, and how, let me just say sometimes in movies, uh, when, um, books, are adapted to the big screen. Characters can get a little bit watered down, uh, for any amount of reasons. Uh, a lot of the time, some of them get watered down so other characters can kind of stand out and be bigger on screen. Um, and that's not always an ominous thing. It just kind of is how it is. Uh, but, um, you know, there, it it tends to be the female characters or the characters who identify as female um, tend to, yeah, get, you know, kick down a few notches just so others can kind of shine. And in this case, um, Adrian, let me know. Now, let me just say here, spoilers abound. Um, this whole episode will be about the movie and books. So, um, you know, if you've never seen any of the Jurassic Park stuff uh turn back now before the velociraptors come up uh come for you so she was explaining to me how you know these characters are already really cool and badass in the books and how they just became even more so in the movies um how they became like elevated uh like um Uh, upgraded I guess or not upgraded I'm, I'm speaking in terms of like video game characters um my kids are always saying like you know like Iron Man's upgrade so it's like uh explaining that you know these characters were already cool already independent and kind of fierce uh and whatnot and then it just became even more relevant and uh uh you could just see it shine through the screen, um, and so Steven Spielberg directed these movies, I already got into that in my Lost World um, episode, um, he just has a way of making certain characters really, really shine, and Ellie, Lex, Kelly, and Sarah Harding are prime fucking examples of that, and so, um, We get into a lot of that. Uh, We get into um, how Hammond, Old Man Hammond is a little bit more villainous in the book. Um, How it's interesting that this uh, book was just barely finished before the rights or like was in the process of getting finished when the rights uh, were sold for the script or the adaptation to the film. And, um, it's just pretty fascinating, you know, uh, Jurassic Park does not begin and end with dino DNA. There's a lot more to it. And, um, my, uh, buddy on Twitter at that guy, Garrick, um, is, uh, has been doing some live tweeting of the different, uh, Jurassic Park movies. I think so far, uh, Jurassic Park, Yeah, I think all three of the first ones, so probably some, um, they'll probably be having some more of the Jurassic World ones coming up, so, uh, yeah, keep an eye out, look them up on, um, Twitter, because, uh, yeah, I, that's a, that's a fun one, I, like, I just can't go through my feed, like, throughout the day without, without seeing a post of theirs pop up and just freaking crack up or remember something funny or be dinosaur related. So anyways, um yeah, and uh has recommended some um extra Jurassic Park World content. Um I might have mentioned in one of the last episodes on YouTube, there's like a mini story thing that you can watch um of like these people at a campground and it takes place like after, um, after Fallen Kingdom, and, uh, my kids have been watching the Jurassic World camp, is it Camp Crustaceous? Camp something on, um, Netflix, so, anyways, there's a lot of, there's a few extra, you know, Jurassic Park, Jurassic World tidbits out there, um, outside of the movies, so I just think that's pretty cool, and I if you want to, if you'd like to, I think the um, viral marketing, fake kind of loss-esque um, website marketing that they did when Jurassic World was first coming out, like when the teaser first came out, there was like um, an engine, um, like websites, uh, whatever the company became, like um different I think you could go to like the different destinations in the park or something very Westworld esque which me and Adrian got into as well because I happen to be wearing a Westworld shirt as we recorded uh why I didn't wear my Jurassic Park one. I don't know but anyways uh this one's for Michael Crichton so I hope you uh I hope you all enjoy. Okay, now we're recording. Um I have my friend Adrian Dillard Author here, um, Raven's Widow. Let me ask you if I'm saying this right. Corroda, Roto, Corrado, Corrado. That sounds way more romantic <laughs> than what I was saying. Um, a novel of Catherine Carey and Keeper of the Queen's Jewels or Keeper of Queen's Jewels,
0: Keeper of the Queen's Jewels,
1: Keeper of the Queen's Jewels, which I have a copy of and I'm making my way through. So hopefully, next time, um, I'll have a lot more gone through it and we can get into. Some book fictional characters, like maybe (laughs) Catelyn Stark and something like that. So, I think I think it'll be good to kind of keep this like pop up every month or so, and like pick different fictional um, heroines and like kind of compare them to ones in real life, especially the ones that you know so much about because you're also a historian. So,
0: (laughs) yeah, I'd love to. Yeah.
1: So, anyway, so today uh, Adrian and I are going to be getting into Jurassic Park, uh, a little bit of Jurassic, uh, the Lost World Jurassic Park, with a focus on the heroines of that movie, specifically Ellie and uh, a little Sarah Harding. And um, yeah, so Adrian has read the Michael Crichton, did I say his name right? Mm-hmm. Michael Crichton book a few times. Um, I've yet to get through it, which I was just telling her, I really want to get to the lost world because I don't know if I was the right age for that movie when it came out that like, you know, preteen, 12, 13 years old, where it just kind of stuck with me forever. Whereas Mm -hmm. like the first Jurassic Park was a little more traumatizing. It was like, (laughs) uh, so anyways, it's kind of, uh, I really want to get into see how Malcolm goes from being what he was in that first book to being this PTSD traumatized get my girlfriend out of the jungle island uh thing so so yeah so I will uh I'm going to be asking her some comparisons to like book Ellie versus Lord Dern's and Steven Spielberg's Ellie here yes. so um what are some standouts to her what makes Ellie so special to you?
0: Well, um, certainly, I think the movie Ellie is way better because she is more like she's super competent and fearless. Like she just like whatever needs to be done, she's going to do it. It doesn't matter if it's scary. It doesn't matter if she thinks that she might fail at it. She's just like she it needs to be done. So she's going to go do it um and she does to that like kind of to a lesser extent in the book and i think that part of the reason why is because um you know Laura Dern was certainly like fairly young when the movie was recorded but it's it's obvious that she is like she's an adult like she's you know probably late 20s early 30s maybe you know, so she has that maturity to her. She has sort of like a maternal instinct to her, whereas in the book, she's a college student. Okay, so, so she's like tw- 19, 20, 21. Right. Yeah, yeah so that is, is a big is difference. Significantly younger. Um, You know, and so she is still, you know, she is still fearless and she will do things but i feel like in the movie she just has this real like maternal instinct and there's actually even some kind of banter between her and dr grant about like having kids and dr grant is really like uh like i don't want kids and then in the, part, in the movie he ends up you know but see in the book grant is like actually he's really good with kids and he loves kids and and so them. Kind of, yeah, she, he's, he's kind of glad to like be, you know, taking these, well, not glad, but you know, he's, he's fine with taking these kids because he likes them, especially because kids are so unreservedly excited about dinosaurs, um, you know, and so it was kind of interesting to like see that, that that change a little bit, you know. Yeah, she to be kind of annoyed to end up ending up in that same freaking
1: car yeah. with them, right? And how yeah. Le- and how Lex goes, oh, she thinks it'll be good for you, and then it's like they pan on Laura Dern, and she's like, you know, oops,
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think, you know, in the movie, that's like the thing that really stands out to me is that, you know, she's got that maternal instinct. She's really like fearless about doing things and whatever needs to be done, she's going to do it. Yeah. In the book, she's not quite, I guess she's not as quite of a, that big of a character. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right, then that
1: makes sense, that maybe more like Dr. Grant and, like, Malcolm and Hammond and them are a little bit yes. more on the forefront.
0: That Absolutely. Does make,
1: that does make sense. And being a kid, you know, watching the movie growing up, she always seemed older in the sense, like, she, like obviously she's a young woman, but, like, she didn't have that, you know, uh, baby ingenue, you know, on the cusp of... 21 22 she did have that more of like okay she's got to be 30ish you know what i mean mm-hmm. and um and like you said there there is a difference between your fearlessness or your taking on you know something fearful at like you know that just becoming a woman and then and i'd imagine going you know getting closer to your 40s it probably gets different every decade the way you handle it but yeah. it was always so cool to see somebody that was still, you know, young, but old enough to, you know, understand the consequences of everything that was happening at the park. Um, having that maternal side. Um, the one thing I appreciate about both of the movies, and I guess going into Jurassic, you know, the Jurassic World ones, is mm-hmm. that whether the the main characters are parents or not parents, they mm-hmm. are fucking there. I always get goosebumps. They're there to protect those kids, whatever kids yeah. in trouble like no matter what. And yeah. it's it's very special and it's such a a timeless human thing to do that no matter again if you have kids or not, you know, when there's peril when something bad is happening, your number one priority is making sure that those young wives are safe and are able to move on to something else. And right. and it's nice to see Ellie you know i thought sarah harding was pretty cool for being that more younger uh younger on the you know the totem pole in terms you could tell that she's just out of college and she is more mature but like you know as much as she's dr malcolm's girlfriend and he has a kid she's not acting like i'm pretending to be her stepmom it's just like i don't know there's just something about like uh you know, just holding on to this little girl the whole time and making sure she's okay, and and everybody thinks that way. Like um, mm-hmm. even the weird hunter guy, Roland, when the camp um, when they realized the one of the guys got eaten by the little dinosaurs, he says mm-hmm. to um, Dr. Malcolm and somebody else, "We can't let Kelly know. We can't let the little girl know what happened to this guy." And it was like for the most badass hunter you know bad guy in the movie to say we can't let the little girl know the bad thing that just happened it's just really kind of precious in these movies and stories that are more action-filled um that that just romantic protective layer of of you protect kids even outside your family and like you don't have to be a mom to do that and you don't have to act like a mom to do that it's just part of your humanity. And, um, yeah, I just, that's one thing I really appreciated about what Steven Spielberg did with those women, you know, rather than putting them in some, you know, a tank top and a pair of short shorts, and like, you know, running around the Island for days, chasing after (laughs) like their guys. It's like, you know, everybody split off and had to do their own deal. And especially in the Lost world, Sarah Harding, does so many more physical things throughout the movie than like Malcolm does. Mm -hmm. Um, And even like as much as Sam Neill is with the kids in the first Jurassic Park, you know, Ellie's the one behind the scenes the whole time, trying to bring it all, like trying to save everybody. And that's, that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I think that Spielberg has really, going back and reading the book again, And having, like, a different kind of – I think – so, like, this last book that I wrote about – that I I wrote um, is kind of, like, it addresses the sort of sexism or, like – you know, women and power and, you know, so I've been thinking about this stuff lately, particularly with like the Me Too movement and, you know, the the Violence Against Women Act and just like all of these things. Um, so that's been kind of in my brain lately. And so every time I've read, I've read Jurassic Park, I don't know, enough mm-hmm. times that my book has fallen apart. Like starting in like, seventh eighth grade like I read it at least once every other year that's good yeah tons and but every time I read it because I'm at like a different place in my life I get different things out of it like I remember the last time reading it I was like really struck by the way that they talk about um, science and like the responsibility that scientists have when they're they're doing these creations that are just really like incredible. You know, sometimes level. they just, yeah, they just do stuff and then they just don't have any respect for it or they don't, you know. Um, and so I remember being really struck by that, but this time, I was more struck by the differences in specifically because I was reading about Ellie, you know, for Ellie's character to kind of refresh my memory and stuff of of how much Spielberg changed her character in the movie to make it a more feminist movie. And it wasn't even it's not even just Ellie. It's Ellie, and it's also Lex. Because Mm -hmm. in the book, Yes, Lex. (laughs) Lex, she is the younger. She's the younger child. And honestly, she's kind of a brat. Is she?
1: Yeah. She is. Is she a little bit of a a Sansa?
0: What's that? I said,
1: is she a little bit of a Sansa?
0: Yeah, kind (laughs) of. But I mean it's it's not it's not unlikable and it's not out of the ordinary because you know she's a young girl just a young her parents girl. are going through a divorce she's kind of i mean it sounds like her dad is kind of like uh like they get along but then like their her parents go through this divorce and her dad like basically just abandons the family and this is you know part of how they you know are at the island and i mean it's quite obviously like uh, the book Hammond is a total douchebag. <laughs> is he? I
1: was going to say, there's no way he could just be like this. Oh, no. Just want to bring back the dinosaurs and, like, this Oh no. no. Yeah. No.
0: He's he's actually, like, one of the villains of it. Okay. And he just doesn't get it. Like, he just does not get, he still is, like, even as all this horrible crap is going on, he's still trying to figure out how he's going to, you know, rescue this park because it's going to make him all this money. Yeah. So it's like in the movie, he brings the grandkids there to kind of, like, get their mind off the divorce and have a little bit of fun. But in the book, he brings them to the island because he thinks that, like, they are going to convince... You know, he's he brought them to be part of the team. Yes. Like, because he thinks that 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 is they're going to see these kids reaction and then they're going to be less likely to shut him down. Like, there's all this kind of like undertone. Yeah.
1: And you could tell Steven Spielberg, you know, he did. He made him uh, not an accidental villain, but. I think it really drives home in The Lost World when uh Malcolm shows up and is like, "Oh, you went from being a capitalist to a you know, a, a you know, a naturalist or whatever the heck it was." No. Um but it, it yeah, or when uh he comes up to like the engine guy at the end and he goes like, "Now you're really John Hammond." And he like <laughs> whispers it in his ear and it's like yeah like I think Spielberg really kept like Hammond being a villain not close to the chest but like yeah. disguised it in a way to where like right. yeah you're just this this man is the catalyst for all of this and um I I just I I think we take Steven Spielberg for granted because he's been yeah. around for so long he makes all these masterpieces and we've seen so many of them that a lot of his newer work, I don't think it's quite as appreciated as the older stuff just because when you're so good for so long it just sucks that you like you should still have that um kind of clout and esteem to you and excitement and yeah i feel like for some filmmakers it just sucks when you're so good for so long almost oh, people get tired of you being good or whatever and so going back i watched hook uh not too long ago and then watching these two Jurassic Park movies, you know that he did, um, you know that that family element is so strong, um, the horror elements are so strong, and the fact that you had this nice little Santa Claus, you know David is it David or Richard Attenborough one of one of those two that plays him? Yeah, you know Richard Attenborough. Yeah, you know you just it's so hard to see the villain underneath that. And that's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty, that
0: was, that's pretty good yeah. on his part. Yeah. Yeah. Cause in the book, and I mean, he, Hammond dies in the book. Okay. Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, he really, he kind of gets his, and and his last, oh my gosh, his last moments too, like, it just really, like, some of the things that he, like, says, and then he, like, thinks, it just really, like, like, he is the villain, he is not a nice guy, he's just, like, you know, but in the movie, like, you know, the family thing is a huge thing, but, like, He also, so, like, you know, in the book, you have Lex, who is, you know, she's just, she's kind of annoying. But in the movie, he makes her, like, he makes her older. And so she is the vital, like, she's one of the ones who saves. If you, like, think about it, it's like the two women save the day, really, because you have Ellie, who is fulfilling actually a huge part of so there's a character in the book whose name is Ed Regis okay and he is the like the head of public relations okay and so the scene where you know the 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 lawyer Gennaro like runs out of the car while the t-rex is there you gotta go you gotta go (laughs) yeah that's not Gennaro in the book that's Ed Regis who does it in the book okay and he's the one who kind of like gets stuck with the kids and, you know, whereas Gennaro and Malcolm and Grant are all in one car. Okay. And um, because they're discussing like, you know, cause Gennaro has actually called these people. It's not really Hammond who's called them. It's Gennaro. And, um, so anyways, so like, They've basically, they made Gennaro into Ed Regis' character in the movie. Okay. And so some of the things that Gennaro did in the book, that's what they have Ellie doing. So like when they go to rescue Malcolm, when they find Malcolm and he's injured, that's not, it's not Muldoon and Ellie. It's actually Muldoon and Gennaro okay and gennaro is the one who goes and like it's gennaro and grant are the ones who actually go and get the power on and like you know so they gave some of these really big moments that's huge that's really huge i mean so they give a lot of these like big sort of hero moments to laura dern as ellie and so they make her as, like, one of the big sort of heroes. And then at the same time, then they, they swap ages for Lex and Tim. And so then Lex saves the day by getting the systems Being back Being a on. computer hacker. Yes. Whereas in the book, it's actually Tim who does it. You know, so I just think it's, like, super interesting how he, like, took these kind of, you know, these hero roles and and made it so that the women were the ones doing that. Um, Yeah, so I was really struck by that. And then that that leads into The Lost World. It's the same, so in The Lost World, there are... um, Two kids as well, and the uh the boy. So I think the boy and the girl are kind of the same age. Okay, and neither one of them is related to Malcolm. Oh, so okay. they're not. It's not Malcolm's. It's not children. even his kids. Okay. Yes, so they're a, a boy and a girl, and it's a white girl and a and um an African American boy, and. Um, so in the movie, they got, they did away from, they did away with having the boy and then they have, um, you know, a girl who's also of color and they make her as this like kind of badass, like she's a gymnast she... and she's like totally strong. And like, so not only did, did he make it be a girl he also you know was a girl of color so that these young girls have somebody to look up to and and you know and i think that that was so cool that they did that because you know the the um, guy who plays malcolm is white mm-hmm. so They could have very easily, if they were going to make, you know, That's what they always do. They could have cast a, a white actress. He could have done that. But no, he made a very intentional choice of, you know, casting a black young girl in the role, which I think is just really incredible that he did that. Because think about all these other young girls who are watching it and they've never seen you know somebody like that on the screen somebody who looked like them in this really like strong and the best part
1: is they never they never get into explaining like how this white man has this young black daughter the only thing they ever say in the movie is i think freaking vince Vaughn's character says i don't see much of a family resemblance and then the eddie guy just sort of just shrugs his shoulders and that's Fucking it. Like, yeah. we don't need to explain this. We you don't need to know if she's adopted. You don't need to, you know, she pro, She might I have a black mom. she might have a black mom. She might not. Like, all yeah. we know is that her mom fucked off to Paris and left her with the dad. And she freaking stowed herself away into that freaking trailer and was like, I'm going to the island. And like <laughs> again when that movie came out, being the same age as Kelly, like the same age. I was just getting into cheer. Um she was so I saw so much of myself in her and mm-hmm. I was lucky at that time that between cheer and all the stuff I did that I was lucky that I I had black friends and black best friends and like you know my school is full of middle eastern kids and living in southern california it like of your neighborhood isn't at least like half Mexican. What are you doing? You're living in a weird ass community. So like, you know, it was like, I was used to not being in a super white atmosphere. As I got older, it seemed like it got kind of whiter, which was weird. But like for kids or girls or whatever who didn't have a whole lot of experience or friends or interactions with kids of color, it was Mm -hmm. like here is your shining example of, like, this girl is you. Like, mm-hmm. Kelly just, like, and then she was, like, uh I cannot remember her name, but she was also in The Little Princess. She played Becky in The Little Princess. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah, and, like, the main character in The Little Princess, her name is Sarah. So, like, I just always imagine, like, she was, like, an imaginary best friend for me, like, at the time. Yes. Like, so I was, like, that girl... I just loved her so much, and that's um, right. I forgot that that actress was in that show. Yeah, she was. She was really something. So, um, I, there's one of my, one of my Twitter friends. He's been doing some Jurassic Park live tweeting lately, and um, we were messaging each other about Kelly and just how fucking cool she is. She's the reason why they get away from the Velociraptors, mm-hmm. um, and then Jul- and then just like fucking Julianne Moore. Like, yeah. the second they get to where all the the velociraptors are trying to get out right before, like, you know, that what you think is the end scene before San Diego rolls around, you know, <laughs> that velociraptor comes out of nowhere, grabs her by the backpack, and poor Malcolm's just sort of, like, standing there. But it's like you've got <laughs> big old Jeff Goldblum, but like you said, we're seeing Sarah Harding do almost all the physical uh action scenes interacting Mm -hmm. with the dinosaurs you know when the t-rex licked her i wasn't super into that i was like i don't know if we (laughs) needed like the t-rex to lick her i don't think a t-rex would ever lick anybody but um
0: and you know actually that's kind of a that's actually something from the jurassic park book there's actually a lot of stuff. So the scene in The Lost World with the little girl on the beach. The compies. Yeah, like with the, the little. compies. That is one of the opening scenes from Jurassic Park. That came from Jurassic Park. The The licking thing actually came from Jurassic Park as well. So there is a whole thing in the book that is not in the movie um and it's the bird aviary so there's an aviary okay and yeah. they they get into this like this raft and they um are going down the river and they they're going so crazy, um me. through the aviary <laughs> aviary which they actually started they brought those in in the third the third movie okay was when they finally brought in the like pterodactyls and stuff but um yeah, so they get and there's a waterfall. And so they hide like behind the waterfall and the t- and it's Lex and it's Tim and it's Grant. And so Grant goes into like this room and Lex and Tim are like outside waiting to like let him out. And the T-Rex has followed them and the T-Rex like sticks his tongue through the waterfall and like basically like all down. Okay. <laughs> I
1: totally freaking shit talked that moment so much in my Lost World episode because I was like, out of everything Steven Spielberg does, I was like, this just feels so out of place. And I just, why does it have to lick her chest like that? Well, dude, it was from the freaking movies. I mean, from the first book. So, yeah, I there are a lot a of
0: things in the Lost World movie that actually came from the book, the first book. So I, yeah, it's it's kind of funny. I don't know why he did that, but maybe these were like things that he liked. Or he yeah, just, or they didn't
1: have enough room, or yeah. they didn't have the right setting. Well, because yeah, that that in the Lost World, clearly they are meant to be shuffled into that waterfall. So, <laughs> and that was a cool effect when he when the snake got in the guy and he goes running out, and you just see that the red. I mean, Jurassic Park. And the wat and the blood and the water is just so um it's so good. It's such a visceral thing to see. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, but like I'm just I'm just blown away by like like Hollywood is so fucking lazy. They are so <laughs> lazy. That so like they are. Again, how easy would have been to just throw in a white little girl or to keep Lexi a little annoying, you know, baby Sansa and have a a cooler older brother who's in tech, you know, and it's like, no, we're going to switch that. We're going to flip that. Mm -hmm. I just, you know, I don't know. That's really mind blowing. And I'm kind of like touched right now. And I'm Mm -hmm. having a hard time comprehending it because, um, you know, reading it and then seeing those movies come out, which they were really good, but like. You know, Mike Hanlon, you know, this young black boy is like, yeah, it's about all the losers club. But like when you read the book, Mike Hanlon, besides Bill, is the hugest fucking standout. He has the most knowledge of dairy. His dad is super cool, had a beautiful relationship with his dad. And then in the movie, when you change things to not make it better, but to dumb it down and make it lazy... I just mm-hmm. don't like that. I'm not into that. And it's like they took his character. They made it to where his parents dry, died in a freaking, like, some crack incident and burnt the house down. And it was like, no. that Like, that's just not even – you can't take a person of color like that and mm-hmm. have something that's not in their story and then add that into a movie and completely change the narrative. That just yeah. looks bad it has a it has a a dark energy to it and the fact that like you have one of the biggest filmmakers of all fucking time uh be like yeah i'm going to make some changes but like we're going to kick it up a few notches and mm-hmm. you know i think Laura Dern she's such a such a particular actress i think she's such a director's actress that like um You know, she's been in some David Lynch stuff. So she's been kind of a, she's had her ingenue time. She's been this kind of younger, sexy thing. I never, I I don't know what, uh, I think it's Blue Velvet or something that she was in where she just got to be this kind of sexy, younger, you know, musish character. And then, you know, and here she's in her boots. She's in her rolled up khaki shorts you know, tied up salmon, you know, freaking almost flannel looking shirt, hair in a scrunchie the whole time, still looking beautiful and fierce, and it didn't have an artificial, inauthentic feel to it. Um, Yeah. I don't know who else could have pulled off Ellie the way that she did, you know? Right. It would be interesting to know who else, I probably could have looked that up, but it would have been interesting to know if there was anybody else, like, in the running to be that character.
0: Yeah, and I think I read someplace, I think on IMDb it says, you know, the the people who sort of, like, screen tested. It must say on there, and I can't remember, but... I think that they did a great job casting her and, you know, I laughed because her outfit that she wears is, like, so iconic. And that's exactly what she's wearing in the book, Is too. it? Oh, that's but, like, awesome. Exactly. With, like, yeah. little ba-
1: her little, like, bandana tie. Dude, her and, like, I think, like, maybe, like, a reason why, like, I tend to be attracted to older men is is deeply seated from this movie, I just, yeah. the relationship, there's something he just, you know, movie-wise, Spielberg really showcased the relationship in, in mm-hmm. such a nice way, two people who respect each other. There's clearly an age difference, right? And Grant has to be in his mid-40s. Obviously, she's probably barely really pushing 30. So, you know, sometimes those younger women, older guy. That that can get tired, right? That can be a little bit cheap and a little bit cheesy. But in the real world, you know, that happens all the time. And not just because, you know, an older guy just wants to date a younger woman. Mm -hmm. You know, it's an organic thing, authentic thing that comes together. And um, you just really feel it here. You just feel like these are just two people who met each other out on the field. And, um, um... Even when Malcolm, you know, does the little thing on her arm and is trying to do the chaos theory thing, he's, you know, he's confident, you know, Sam, Grant is confident enough in his relationship with her that, Mm -hmm. like, he'll let this guy do his little spiel but he's not a pushover, right? You know what I mean? Like, he, you know, when Malcolm asks him if she's available or if they're together, he's like, yeah, yeah, we're together. Like, but it's not in an asshole possessive way. It's just in this very, um, I don't know, I just really like their relationship. And, yeah. you know, in the, you know, when it comes to the third booby, you only see her in the beginning with him. Um, her little boy is playing with some fake dinosaurs. And her husband comes home. And, Again, very respectful, whatever, but, like, you can tell that they still, you know, have a good love for each other. Um, Mm -hmm. And the fact that, like, when they have to call from the island on that crappy Nokia phone and it finally, the the phone finally gets to her and she's able to send help. I just think it was so cool and so fitting that, like, Ellie, as much as they are doing all the work on the island trying to survive she's the one that sends the helicopters, sends the team and gets them the F out of there. And yeah. I don't know, she's just, she's the nonchalant hero of the third one. And I think, I just thought that was so cool.
0: <laughs> yeah. And you know, in the book, like the flirtation between her and Malcolm, that's not really there I at remember all. I do know what you're saying, yeah, Malcolm's totally, yeah. he's not that mm-hmm. kind of sexualized. Yeah. Character. And in fact, like, most of it is like he does say the part when they're in the plane and he says i refuse to believe you, that you're not familiar with the concept of attraction <laughs> he does say that to her in the book but that's it that whole exchange of where they're talking about like the butterfly can flap its wings in peking and you can get whatever that he doesn't actually even say that it's somebody else, I think it's Gennaro, and he's like explaining what chaos theory is to somebody else, but it's not Ellie. So there's not and even like in in the book, like Malcolm is very like he it he's very eccentric, but there's not this like sexual energy to him. Yeah. Like he's okay. just like I'm really upset because I'm right, I hate being right, but I told you this is what was gonna happen. And so he spends like a majority of the book because he's injured right away. Yeah, And you know, he actually, so in the movie, he goes running towards the T-Rex to kind of like, you know, distract him from the kids. No, in the book, Malcolm is the one who tears off running away, not Gennaro. (laughs)
1: You know, you know, Jeff Goldblum was like, "I would never run away from kids."
0: <laughs> well, you know, I mean, they cast this like super sexy actor, and they, of course, you know, they kind of had to like sex him up a little bit. And I mean, you can't do Jeff Goldblum that way. Like, you have to make him out to be like a cool dude. Oh, for sure. Know? Yeah. So I guess I can't really like fault them, and for you that, know, but. Um, yeah. Making, making science sexy. You had to have
1: somebody, you know, make science a little more sexy for everybody.
0: Yes, exactly, exactly. So, I mean, that was cool that they did that. But like, and, and in the book, like, there isn't any kind of relationship, like, at all between Ellie and, and Grant. Really? Like, Grant is her teacher. Okay. No, yeah. Grant is her teacher. She's quite a bit younger. Grant, actually, his he is a widower in the book. His wife has died. Okay. And so it, like, this kind of exchange between him and Tim, and they're talking about, like, Tim is, is telling him about about his parents' divorce and, like, what's going on. And basically, it's like, you know, Tim's dad has said, you know, like, he he talks about, he's telling this story about how he, he convinced his parents they're not really into his, like, love of dinosaurs. Okay, yeah. Like, they want him to be, like, the sports kid, just, like, Lex is, because Lex is like super into sports, dad's into sports. That's how they bond. And so she, he like convinces his parents to take him to the Museum of Natural History. And there he's telling Grant about how they're they're there. And he sees the T-Rex and he starts, he's like staring at it super intently. And his dad asks, asks him what he's doing. And he says, oh, I'm counting the bones in the vertebrae. And he was like, well, why are you doing that? And he goes, because there's too many of them. And he's like, no, this is like a history museum. They're not going to have, that's not going to be, you know, a mistake like that. And, and so, you know, he's like really determined he's oh, going to prove his gosh. son wrong. Yeah. And so he goes and he talks to one of the guards. And then he comes back and Tim says he comes back with like this weird look on his face. And sure enough, it's because the guard has said, yes, there's too many bones in it. And so, you know, he's telling this story to Dr. Grant and like basically like how his dad is like a total jerk and just like ups and like leaves the family and is not supportive at all. And, And, you know, and then he asks Grant, like, do you have a wife? Like, do you have kids? And Grant tells him that his wife has passed away and basically like alludes to the fact of like, no, I had a wife. But my wife is now gone. And that's the only, that's the only wife that I ever want to have. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there isn't, there's like no kind of relationship between them at all. That is very interesting because like, I mean,
1: they are a little bit of an odd couple, you know what I mean? Apart from Mm -hmm. the the age difference and apart from having their job in common. um, Yeah. Yes. You know, they are, they,
0: you know, that, God, wow. That is interesting. Yeah. yeah. So these characters, I mean, it's, it's actually really kind of interesting, like the changes that they've made to them, you know, it, it really makes the women characters a lot more complex, but in doing that, they almost kind of take away some of the complexity behind the male characters, you know, because even though like um, Hammond is a villain, he's a very intriguing villain because you're never really quite sure kind of until the end, like just how bad he really is. You know, because you're still, you're always are kind of questioning, like, is he really doing this for the money? Like, does he really believe in this? Like, does he really, you know, and, but whereas it, in the movie, like, it's pretty straightforward. Like, you know, he, and they've made him, and you know, then he talks about, um, you know, we could charge anything we want. The the lawyer says we could charge anything we want, $10, $10 million, or whatever. Yeah. He says, You know, no, I want in the world to be able to enjoy my part. He's like a Walt Disney like figure. Okay. And he yeah, Hammond is. He's like a Walt Disney figure. Oh, I want to share this with every all children. I want all It's Hammond who says we can charge whatever we want to. And, if, and it's not Gennaro who says that. Gennaro, what? like, they did Gennaro so dirty. They did,
1: because the- that guy is just like, yeah, we're going to make <laughs> as much money. You need to make sure you tell people that they want to come to the dam, that you endorse the park. Yeah, like when Grant at the end is like, I'm sorry, Mr. Hammond, but I will not be endorsing yeah. your park. Wow, they did do him dirty. Run into the <laughs> toilet. Yeah. And, and you know, I always wonder yes, if, like once yeah. once you meet your actors that are going to be in this, um, you know, be in the the motion picture of this story, if that can can change things too. Once you you meet them and you see what they're bringing to the character, you know, just like uh, me and Jimmy were talking about in Game of Thrones, how with Dinklage, Peter Dinklage, you know, being such this positive, wonderful, wonderful handsome portrayal of Tyrion Lannister as much as we love Book Tyrion, he was about to go he was wallowing in his own darkness the last time we saw him, you know. Um and but at the same time we're excited that he's gonna get to Daenerys and he's making his way. But um, you know, you've brought up before that historical wise, the person that Tyrion's based off of was not Mm -hmm. a fucking good guy and he was a villain so (laughs) it only makes sense that book Tyrion is going to come around to that and I was telling Jimmy it makes perfect sense I hate how Daenerys became the bad guy but when you see her with the bags and you know Missandei has died and you know they've left Winterfell she's been Mm -hmm. gaslit by fucking Tyrion Lannister who says you can trust me you're my queen, I'm the hand of, you know, your hand, you can trust me, but he's doing deals with his family the whole time because he still loves his family. And so it's like, it'll be interesting to see what happens with his character in terms of that, but like, um, it's just, yeah, when when the bad guys, you know, in the books are kind of set in stone, but it's like you meet these humans that come in to portray them, That's going to, it's going to take the story and it's going to take those characters and shape them a little bit differently. And I like that. I, I like that because, yeah. you know, being book readers, you can keep your book people and then you can have your show, your movie people, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think I used to be more precious with stories needing to be just like the books. We're like, now yeah. it's like, okay, well, you're having somebody come in They did not write the story. The story doesn't live Mm -hmm. in their brain the way it does with this person. And so there are going to be some differences. And Mm -hmm. yeah, when you meet the the humans that are taking these these fictional characters and bringing them to life, like there's just going to be some Mm -hmm. fun new aspects to it. And I think as long as that stays organic and authentic, you can Mm -hmm. grow, you know, pretty flowers around that that. That central main story, which I think uh-huh. we got lost with Game of Thrones, but hopefully yeah. hopefully it'll come back. But it, I think what you're telling me about the Jurassic Park for, book mm-hmm. and the Lost World book versus what we saw on screen, that doesn't happen very often. Like, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, even if there's mm-hmm. things that maybe didn't like that change from the book, to have these female characters be lifted up and do so many Mm -hmm. things and it not be you know as like the incel boys like to say thrown in your face or this like you know (laughs) agenda type thing it's just like no you know we've got laura dern here we've got julianne moore here like let's see them really shine and get shit done and you know when ellie's when she's got the the thing wrapped around her ankle after she's dealt with velociraptors and losing, uh, what's the guy's name? Muldane? Muldane, yeah. After losing him and, you know, Samuel L. Jackson's arm coming, Dr. Arnold, you know? I never knew as a kid, I never knew that was, uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character. I just always like, whose fucking arm is that? You know what I mean? Like, where'd that guy's arm come from? And I was like, oh no, that was hang on to your butts guy, you know, like shit. That's like and then, my favorite line in the
0: whole movie. And then
1: <laughs> and then when she finally sees Grant and the kids in the main place and she just says run, it's so good. It's just like, come yeah. on bitch, one more, one more, we got just like one more thing, just one like yeah. one more step and it's good. Yeah. You You see them tired, you see them exhausted and then you see them just keep going, mm-hmm.
0: which is what you have to do. I would really love to know, like so he actually, Michael Crichton actually sold his movie before the book was even published. There okay, was, I was like to ask huge, you
1: about that. I thought that, I, yeah. I got confused with Westworld and his Jurassic Park book.
0: Yeah. In terms of which one So there was just like this huge like, you know, um, stampede for it. And um, he is also a screenwriter. Okay. So he was a, like a producer and a screenwriter for ER. Um, so he, when he wrote, when he wrote Jurassic Park, the movie rights to it went at the same time. When he sold the book, he sold movie rights okay. as well. And, and so So it was kind of like at the time that he was writing the book, they were also writing the screenplay. And I think that, I don't know if he wrote the entire screenplay, but I do know he had a huge role in the screenplay writing and so I would be super curious to know like the changes were they something that he wanted were they something that like Spielberg wanted or was it like Spielberg said you know we should do this Mm -hmm. and he was okay like I would so love to know as a writer myself because I think about the books that I've written and that have already been published and I think back to them and I think oh I wish I would have done this or I wish I would have changed this or you know added whatever or maybe like what if I had twisted this character a little bit like how would that look like, like what, other, what
1: other colors you might want to add to that painting
0: right yeah and so so, like i think about like if somebody were to adapt my book mm-hmm. like for movie how would i feel if they changed this or would i want that you know because there are a lot actually a lot of tutor books uh-huh. that are adapted to and and honestly that is literally a possibility <laughs> in
1: your reality that could be a thing that could very well happen to you one day so you might as well think about
0: From your lips to God's ears. (laughs) I swear. you know, I think about that. And I think about, like, how would I feel about that? How would I, particularly, like, with my heroine, Jane Boleyn, because she is always portrayed as being this horrible person, and I have portrayed her, like, the exact opposite of that. You know? And so, like... If somebody wanted to adapt my book, I would be like, you cannot fuck up this yeah, character. Yeah, you cannot <laughs> do
1: what people have already been doing to this character. You have to stay true to this narrative. Right. Do whatever you want with everybody else. But, and like, this is the thing. Don't prob- touch it. It's
0: sacred. Yeah,
1: and you would probably be very lucky because I don't think people, you know, like, if you found, like, a, a female filmmaker or somebody mm-hmm. like that... um, uh a more like roots kind of director um i don't think they're interested in telling that that same old blonde story you know what i mean mm-hmm. we we have enough mean girl shit out there that like i'm yeah. sure if you were to ever be approached about it it would be solely for that perspective for that sort of redemptive um narrative versus this scheming, plotting, you know, even what they did with Sansa and Arya at the end of Game of Thrones, Mm -hmm. and how they had them interact with Daenerys and stuff, it's like, you know, God, you guys, you know how much better it would have been if fucking Arya and Sansa liked Daenerys, which they would have, no fucking doubt in my mind, they've been away from Catelyn long enough to not have that, like, you know, bastard, you know, my whatever. Mm-hmm. I just, I just, it's so tired. It is so tired. Yes. The girl against girl, woman against woman, Brittany versus Christina narrative. <laughs> like we're over it. Um, so yeah. yeah, that would be quite wonderful to, uh, to experience. And again, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't presume that it would be too far outside of your realm of possibilities.
0: <laughs> well, that would be really awesome, yeah. but I do wonder. Like, I really wonder about that. Like, what what say did Crichton have in the adaption, You know, of his books mm-hmm. and like, I don't know. Was if Westworld was? I know that they did a movie of Westworld, like way back oh, in the day. I just noticed I'm wearing my Westworld T-shirt. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't know if if he was still alive when they did the show I can't remember if he was but it it, you know that's something that I really think about and I wonder particularly for him because he is a screenwriter mm-hmm. and a producer and he has that whereas like I'm not that so I wouldn't know like is that you know because obviously they have reasons for why they make changes and so I do kind of wonder if like because he had that experience, was he super amenable to making these changes or did he even make them himself? Because he knew like it would speak to audiences in a different way than the book does. So that whole like the mechanics behind that thought process is really like interested me as a writer of, you know, because obviously like the things I can, you know, I can do like three pages of like a description of like describing what a room looks like. And that takes like two sentences in a script,
1: you know, because it's just all
0: set dressing. That's that's what's so, so, yeah,
1: that's what mind blows me, or that's what's always mind blowing like about like George R. R. Martin. Like when people can write, like you said, you know, you give me five pages, I'm going to explain what this Westworld shirt takes <laughs> or looks like in the five pages where it's like, like you said, when it comes yeah. to the script, um, that's one sentence. Like, and you barely, that better be like a five word sentence and it better be fucking quick and it better describe everything it needs to describe in a, yeah. in a snap and to to go from, you know, being able to indulge and really, you know, Get into the mindset of these people and stuff, and then have to do it in such a, uh, you know, shave it down. Um, yeah. How do you how do you not stay precious to certain aspects of it and whatnot? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, I've tried to write stories before, and you know, I've one of the last times I did it, I was like, maybe if I stick to like a screenplay type format. I won't let my my brain get I won't get so lost in my brain, you know what I mean because <laughs> yeah. I think what people don't realize is when when you write and stuff like you're you gotta put your head in your story like you're literally sort yes. of like in a movie in your head, and when real life interrupts that that can get like super distracting but like you know i it's just yeah, the difference between that just meat and bones tight script versus t- being able to, you know, you know, make something just nice and, 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 and page turning mm-hmm. that has to be hard. And it's just, it, it just always blows my mind when there's people who could write these rich, amazing detailed books and then, you know, can, can trim it down to a script. And that's where those game yeah. of Thrones guys went wrong. It's like, if you would have just had Georgia on your side a little bit longer you know he could help you with those scripts but it was not it was not meant to be <laughs>
0: <laughs> really that's just that when he finally gets winds of winter out then it's just going to be that much sweeter <laughs> and it's, if we ever get a dream of spring i am convinced he's writing both of them at the same time he, ha- he, he has, has, to, has to, be. to be
1: it it's too it's too hard like the board that he has in the background to tie everything together um why wouldn't you and again i wouldn't blame him if he has been piecing together winds of winter this whole time Mm -hmm. and then it's just the book and then it's a few more years before the next one i wouldn't be too surprised but like you said it just makes sense that he's just i'm gonna just wrap up my song of ice and fire story and then can just play producer and play with scripts and play with hbo and do other producing projects outside Mm -hmm. of that story because as much as I'm sure you love what you write, you know, you have to have a distraction, you have to be, you have to have a little bit of a world to get out of it and to stay sane and grounded and stuff, so I I feel bad for the guy sometimes where I'm just like, (laughs) I get it, it's been a really long time, like a long (laughs) time, but like, I think he's crafting something for us that's going to be more of a legacy, more of a gift to us than like, oh, well, here's this last book. You know, it's like, here's some more shows. Here's some more stories. You know, uh, being open about letting people come in and write with him and stuff. Um, So, yeah, I'm seeing some parallels between... George and Michael being able to keep that kind of open relationship and working with filmmakers, Mm -hmm. working with them on the script, um, being able to let some things go. That can't be the easiest thing to, you know, to be like, okay, I wrote all of this and you're just going to take that whole chunk out or you're going to, you know, put it in the next movie. What if the next movie never gets made? You know, it's a lot of trust. It's a lot of faith and It's really impressive when people just take that leap of faith and, and it works Mm -hmm. out because if you look at the Jurassic Park world community right now, there is a, there's a huge community for it. There's a huge Twitter group, you know, like there's a shit ton of people on Twitter that just come out of the woodworks when you post about Jurassic Park, um, There's a Netflix series that my kids have been watching. It's called, like, Camp... um, Camp... Camp Crustaceous, maybe? And it's about these... It's, like, a CGI show. And it's about these, Mm -hmm. like, kids that are at... East Lanubar or wherever Jurassic World... uh, That island is. They're, like, Mm -hmm. camping there. And then when the park... When shit hits the fan, they're there. You know, and they have to, like, survive... You know, so they have, you know, I'm watching my boys watch this, and they have a very Lex-esque girl, you know, with pink hair, who's a little hacker, computer coder girl, you know. There's, you know, obviously boys in there, but there's, you know, all these younger girls who are into dinosaurs and into science. And I just feel like the representation for that was, like, Mm -hmm. lacking growing up. You know, Lex was the only cool chick I saw that was, like, I'm gonna get into the system and you know fix everything. And it was like, I don't know. It just was really nice to see, and I just hope that it kind of keeps, yeah, keeps going. Continues. And I and and to get into Bryce Dallas Howard, we can get into her at a later time, you know. But mm-hmm. I noticed in the first Jurassic World, you know, she's very corporate, you know, into just selling, you know, making the dinosaur getting investors, running around in heels the whole time, which, of course, it's very fitting for her character. She starts out in high heels. What the fuck is she going to change? Like, what pair of sneakers is lying around for her to change into while all this shit is hitting the fan? so as as not, uh, as a, you know, as a girly girl, as Claire starts out, um, in the second one, you know, she's a lot different. You know, she... She takes on a lot of the physical stuff, and I noticed that Chris Pratt, as much as he, you know, is Chris Pratt Mr. Movie Star, they really made him shine in the first one, but they toned him the fuck down in the second one. Like it's Bryce mm-hmm. Dallas Howard's freaking movie and uh did did you see the Fallen Kingdom one? Yeah, okay. But it's been a while. Okay. There's, there's also a cute little girl in there, and so, um... And <laughs> <laughs> then I go too fast. I, I go too fast. I did a flyby. No, give, me, give me that big glass of water. We're going to conduct an experiment. It should be still. The car's bouncing up and down, but that's okay. It's just an example. Now, put your hand flat like a hieroglyphic. Right? Now, let's say... A- okay, so we went from talking a little bit about Fallen Kingdom, um, how Chris Pratt's character kind of was like mostly, you know, the star of the first one and how, um, Bryce Dallas Howard, um, literally just became, um, she just exuded the main character energy in Fallen Kingdom, um, as did the little clone girl, you know what I'm saying? So anyways, um, and then we hopped into, uh, The Lost World, the book, which, um, before I hop back into the audio, she... Um, explained to me that in um, The Lost World, Jurassic Park, in the book, um, uh, Dr. Ian, uh, Ian Malcolm uh, dies in Jurassic Park, but because people loved his character so much, um, they brought him back for the second one. Uh, you know, somehow Palpatine returned, somehow Malcolm returned. Um, and then she just starts to get into um, some of the differences between that book and the movie, um, Kelly's character. And, uh, yeah, it's just it, it's just all very fascinating. So, yeah, this is uh, the tail end of our conversation here.
0: After, you know, that he died. Um, and so. So who's the main he, character he, in the they the love loved world. him? It's Malcolm. Okay, okay. But the reason why is because people loved him so much in Jurassic Park. He was so popular that they wrote that when he wrote the second book, he brought Malcolm back to life. And it's all like hey, it's all basically like a misunderstanding. It's a misunderstanding. A death so like, the opening chapters. He's talking about how, and actually, so he's not even the main, like Malcolm is a huge role, but he's not even the main character. And okay. I'm totally blanking on what the main character's name is. Um, but he is the one, this other main guy, he's the one who's found this other island. He's the one who's like trying to, and he's trying to get Malcolm to go. And he like shows up to this thing where Malcolm is speaking and he's like telling him, I'm gonna go to this island, you know, and you can help me or you can't, or you know, whatever, yeah. I would take you to come because you've been there, you know. And so, you know, but in it, he's like talking about how like, you know, the the government of Costa Rica, like, you know, made like there was some kind of mix up or something like that and that he actually didn't die but that was what was reported for whatever reason or another so yeah I think it was kind of like he was just so popular after the movie because of course like that actor is just like the best um, Jeff Goldblum Yeah, but he's you know, so so Michael Crichton kinda like, I think, had this pressure of like, okay, I gotta figure out how I'm gonna bring Malcolm back yeah. because I killed him off.
1: <laughs> you know, that's I mean, mm. and I was I was wondering, you know, rewatching it so much lately and then when I did my Lost World episode, seeing the change of his character in that first movie. Versus the mm-hmm. second one, there's no open butt shirts. There, even though he's with his girlfriend the whole time, there's no, you know, uh, schmoozy, suave, charming, uh, you know, Ian yeah. e. Malcolm that you got in that first movie. And as a kid, I think I was just a little bit confused because I'm like, dude, he's so fucking different. Not only does he look different because he doesn't have the tinted glasses and the, you know, slick back hair and leather jacket. Um, you know, he's got that later 90s look, but he's just, he's so handsome, and so as as freaked out and traumatized as he was by Jurassic Park, he's very grounded, mm-hmm. very protective, um, and just doesn't want to fuck around with being protective, I just want to freaking take my girls and bring them home, and nobody's understanding me, you know what I mean, there's there's still a little neuro you know, a little mm-hmm. bit of neurotic, uh, that neurotic aspect to him, but, I just really, really enjoy that change of his character where I could see mm-hmm. that like maybe when the movie first com- came out, people kind of being confused as to like, why was he this way in the one and different in the other? Well, like, you know, when dinosaurs have been chasing after you, when dinosaurs don't even exist in our lifetime, how do you explain that to people? How do, can you how do you convey that yeah. fear to people who are? don't see that or when he sees Sarah for the first time she's looking at the nice animals so it's like she doesn't know what it's like to encounter any sort of predatory dinosaur you can't even fathom it until you're Mm -hmm. into it and it has to be an absolute reality bending thing that you just don't come back from you just can't come back from mm-hmm. and so I, I really appreciate his character and I really appreciate him trying to save Sarah but not doing it in that macho you know super over masculine way it's just like I mm-hmm. love you I'm here to protect you you don't understand how bad this can get and um and it's just yeah I, in terms of women on screen in action movies and the way, and their relationship with the men it really mm-hmm. as much as these movies are 20 you know some odd years old now at this point for movies that came out in the 90s it's very impressive uh, being older and re-watching them it feels good and I just hope that like people can forever take this example and, and go with it forward you know what I mean like Marvel pay attention DC pay attention okay because <laughs> They're not not fucking comic book movies but they knew what to do with the women in great physical ways. They're still sexy. They're still feminine and it's awesome. It's just and you don't see that very often in 2021. So yeah.
0: 100%.
1: Well that was the episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. I'm very grateful for Adrienne's time and her knowledge and um explaining the differences between um the book characters and the film characters so well. So um again check her out, check out her website. Um she has uh just always wonderful things to say, different theories about uh Game of Thrones characters, um and I don't know, she just, she has a fascinating mind. So um, don't be shy. Feel free to reach out to her. She is on Instagram and Facebook. Again, she has her own website. So Adrienne Dillard, uh, adrienne-dillard.com. Um, and uh, yeah, so thank you again, Adrienne. Um, hopefully uh, we will be getting into more episodes like this um, in the future um, just about different kick-ass characters and, um, why they are so important and why representation matters and different just variations of people, um, just need to be seen and heard and felt on screen. So, uh, anyways, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's what we have to look forward down the road here on the podcast. Um, yeah, there'll be more of Adrian coming up. Um, now that we're getting into spooky season, um, I will be doing more scary movies. I think what did I do, The Sixth Sense was the last one. Um, so I'll have my sister on here soon. Um, we we just watched Cabin in the Woods together. So I don't know if we'll be getting into that or something different. But um, yeah, we've been we've been binge watching um, different scary different scary movie content, um, getting revved up for the rest of September and moving into October. So, um, that's coming up down the road on the podcast shortly. Um, hopefully I will be having, uh, Sir Matt on from Bend the Knee and Hyperspace Hangout again. Um, I just have started my DC animation, um, journey. I think Flashpoint is the first one. So I started watching, um, I think I got about a quarter way through that one, so I'm gonna rewatch it from the beginning um, and go from there. So he he spelled out, uh, you know, where to start in the whole DC animated arc. So um, hoping to be hoping to get into that with him uh, down the road here as I get more uh, DC animation under my belt um, in terms of Star Wars animation. Go check out the Hello There feed. Um, I've done Rebels, uh, some Clone Wars, Clone Wars 2D, Forces of Destiny, um, with plenty more to come, Resistance, uh, the Ewok cartoon, Lego stuff, Um, just gonna keep going down the Star Wars animated road. It never ends, it will never end. Um, I will be old and gray and the road will still be miles and miles ahead, so that's fun. Um, and, uh, my last chat with Sir Matt, um, we did talk about Star Wars animation and, um, probably like 20, 30 minutes. And so, um, I have that clip from that conversation when we talked to Suicide Squad and, um, he just plotted out all these standout episodes and arcs from, um, like Rebels and Clone Wars, um. And so I just thought it'd be kind of cool for everybody to hear and listen. So I'm going to put that on here and on hello there. So that's what's coming up down the road. And um, lastly, before I wrap this up and wish everybody a, a happy and safe weekend. Um, probably in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be putting out a recap Godfather episode of godfather 1 and godfather 2 probably just a 30 minute little chit chat of um a recap of the first two movies before i finally sit down and watch godfather part three um paramount plus has them all on there i'm not advertising for them i always have trouble logging into their shit which i'm not complaining i don't really know what i'm doing wrong there but i finally figured it out and so um uh for some reason my nine-year-old was curious about the mafia and the only way i was able to explain it to him was in terms of the godfather so i don't whatever uh so i watched that the other day i watched the first one so i'm like i'll just watch the second one we'll do a nice little recap episode and uh you know i'll just cry a bucket of tears as i watch the godfather part three it's been years and years and years um regardless of how people felt about it feel about it it's always it's always hard to say goodbye and it's a trilogy and Michael Corleone is Michael Corleone is a very complicated tough character but I still love him and it's gonna be hard to say goodbye so ah I'm ready to let it go, guys. Okay, so that's what's coming up down the road. I think I'm winded. I'm sure you guys are probably tired of me babbling on. So have a happy weekend. Stay safe. Wear your mask. And um, just uh, I don't know. I don't have anything to say. Just watch out for the fucking dinosaurs. You know what I mean? Like if we're in the if we are in the present day Jurassic Park, Jurassic World timeline, we are somewhere between. Fallen Kingdom and Dominion, and that's very scary because that means, like, if you're going, like, for a hike, you know, like, in the Laguna Mountains, like, here in San Diego, you know, Blue and her fucking crew. I don't trust, like, I told you, I don't trust Velociraptors. Speaking of badass females, shout out to, like, the lady dinos, dinos of, you know, the Jurassic universe out there. Uh, but I, I can't trust a velociraptor you can't convince me I a human shot blue in the last movie like it's just not feasible for her to trust anybody not even not even fucking Owen not even fucking Owen okay okay maybe Claire and the hot fucking uh lesbian doctor in from Fallen Kingdom my favorite character but like I don't think blue. I'm gonna stop. Have a good weekend. What species is this? Uh, it's a velociraptor. The red raptors.